Okay. Um, I uh, sent out a source sheet, uh, and the shear is going to be broken up into two parts. The first will be about 10 minutes. The second will be close to about 20, 25 minutes. Um, and the two parts build on each other. Today is, of course, Yom Atzmaut, a special shiur in honor of Yom Atzmaut. Um, and uh, what, what I'd like to do in the first few minutes is talk about, in sort of a more cosmic sense, the significance of statehood for us. And it's important to note that we lived and survived and actually thrived for so long without statehood that we're not used to it. And we're not accustomed to thinking in those terms. Um, it, it's, it's become a slow realization for us to think in religious terms about statecraft and about things like economy, medical care, um, health policies, as we're dealing with today, to think of these things in religious terms. Uh, but it's something that we've come around to. There were some visionaries who even before the state was founded were able to kind of do that. And, um, and since statehood, there have been those who, uh, quicker or slower, have come around to being to seeing it. But I'd like to look at it from a slightly different perspective. Uh, this one, uh, perhaps a little bit more metaphysical for the first few minutes. And then we're going to get into the issues of halal and yom atzmaut. We're not going to be able to even touch more than a tip of the iceberg, but just some general kind of directions about it. Um, I'm going to start with something that's sort of picante. Uh, picante, I think, is Hebrew for picant. So, okay. Um, and that is in Sidur Rashi. Now, Rashi did not write Sidur Rashi. It was written by his students. Uh, but in the Sidur, there is an acrostic that appears uh, around Hilchot Pesach uh, that you could see as source one, which is commonly known as the Atbash. Now, the Atbash is a uh, transfer cipher, which may have been used even in Tanakh. There are a couple uh, passages in Tanakh, at least one, which may be an example of... of uh, covering up a name by using its cipher um, transfer instead of Bavel Sheshach. But the way that Atbash works, it's a very simple substitution cipher where you take the first letter of the alphabet, substitute it with the last letter of the alphabet, etc. And so Aleph becomes a top, Bet becomes a Shin. And this mnemonic, uh, which my mom taught me many, many years ago, but she didn't teach it out of Siddur I think she taught it out of the Kitzvah Shulchan Aruch, uh, but I found the source, Atbash Gardak Hatzvak, is essentially, although it sounds pretty funny, it would make a terrible song, um, is essentially a way of being able to identify what day of the week almost any holiday will take place if you know when Pesach starts. And so we'll operate with this year with Pesach starting on a Wednesday and on a Thursday. All right? And it works as follows, and he spells it out. Aleph is Tav, which means the first day of Pesach is Tisha Ba'av. I highlighted the letter. And this year, Tisha B'Av will be on a Thursday, just like Pesach was on a Thursday. Bet, Shin. The second day of Pesach was a Friday this year. Shin, Shavuot, will be on a Friday. Well, that one's kind of easy because it's exactly seven weeks later. What's kind of cool is that as of 52 years ago, 53 years ago, uh, Shin, Shlemut, is also on a Friday. Yerushalayim became a complete city also exactly a week to the day before Shavuot, Neom Yishalayim is always on the same day of the week. So that's kind of a cool little thing. Um, another thing, by the way, is that two weeks before that is Pesach Sheni. So there's a lot of shins there on the second day. Gimel Resh, which is the third day, is Rosh Hashanah. This year Rosh Hashanah is on Shabbat, just like Pesach the third day was on Shabbat. 
This one's a little bit, uh, only for Chutzlaretz and a little bit stretchier, which is Dalad Kuf. The fourth day, which is Sunday, is Kriya, which is Simchas Torah. I'm not going to try to defend it. It is what it is. All right. The fifth one, which is Hey Tzadi, is the fifth day of Pesach. This year was a Monday, is Som Kippur. And Yom Kippur will be on a Monday this year. So the minute, by the way, you have Rosh Hashanah, then you have Simchat Torah and Yom Kippur, they all kind of follow line. That makes sense. Vav, the sixth day of Pesach this year was on a, uh, on a Tuesday. Va is Pei, Pei, meaning Vav is Purim. Purim this year, meaning a month before Pesach, was on a Tuesday. Now the reason that it can't get to Hanukkah and it can't get to the next year Purim is because Marcheshvan and Kislev are um, flexible months, sometimes 29, sometimes 30, sometimes both 30, sometimes both 29, sometimes one or the other. And so that's where the calendar gets messed up. And that's why Hanukkah could start on any day of the week and you go from there. But once you know Pesach, you know, everything's from the Purim before until Simchat Torah afterwards, what day of the week it'll be. That's very nice. But if you recall, Pesach has seven days. And this little mnemonic only went to Vav. So in shadows, I put in the piece that never showed up. And what follows would be Zion, Ayin. The seventh should be Ayin. And what's interesting is that um, on May 14th, which was the Friday of, um, of, of which was Habeer, which is actually the day before the British were supposed to leave. The British left that night at midnight on the beginning of May 15th. But we declared independence um, and uh, and declared independence or sovereign state, really. Uh, we weren't really declaring independence because everybody had left, but we were declaring sovereignty. Uh, and that was exactly two weeks after Shvi Shal Pesach. So that Ayin, Zion Ayin now becomes complete and this demonic now works in that the seventh day of Pesach is the same day as Yom Atzmot. So that, that, by the way, can rise to nothing more than cute. It's cute. But there's something a little bit more to it. I want, many years ago, I heard Rabbi Nun make the, make the observation that Kriyat Yamsuf, which is what we celebrate on Shri Shal Pesach, whether it happened that day or not is subject to some parshanut, but it's what we celebrate on Shri Shal Pesach, was a seminal event because, in many ways, but in one particular way that we don't necessarily think of. You know, every redemption that we've had in history has either been political or military. Hanukkah was purely military. Purim really, although there was some battling, was really a, a, a diplomatic coup. Bavel, leaving Bavel was all diplomatic. There was no fighting involved. Uh, and so every one of them has been one or the other. The only exception to that was Yitziat Mitzrayim. Yitziat Mitzrayim was all negotiation. In other words, God could have just put the Mitzrayim to sleep for a week and said, okay, guys, get out of town. But instead, we it was operated to the point where Hashem had Moshe push until Paro would finally say, Yes, Hashem is in charge. Yes, you can go. Yes, you are his children, etc. So Paro gave in. And yet, with all of the diplomacy and negotiation, the event wasn't finished until there was also a war. And Kriyat Yamsuf was a war. Because what does Hashem say at Kriyat Yamsuf? God will fight for you. And it's a, it's a military victory. And the song of Shiratayam, as beautiful it is, is about a military victory and destroying Paro's forces. And from that point on through history, our redemptions, our victories, small or large, local or national, were always, most of them were diplomatic. And the few that were military were only military. 
until 1947. Because in 1947, we had been operating for a number of years, and most intensely for the last few months beforehand, we got the world body to agree to give us a state. It was negotiated. And the story behind the story of Turtle Bay in November 1947 is fascinating by itself. And the world voted in favor, and we all know what the reaction was. Jews around the world danced in the streets. Roshi Yeshiva had their radios left on on Friday night so that they could hear the vote or get the vote reported to them. And then it said Shechianu, and it was amazing. But, of course, it wasn't over until January 1949 when there was an armistice uh, signed and when the world was quite surprised to see that Israel was still standing. And so the connection with Kriyat Yamsuf may be more than incidental. But I just want to put that out there as sort of an opening thought. Um, I was asked a little while ago to be on a panel, and I was told that in the panel they were going to ask, what did Rabbi Soloveitchik and Rabbi Cook think about Yom Atzmaut? So luckily they never asked me that question because all I'd be able to say is that Rabbi Cook would have said it would have been a very nice thing if you were able to be alive to see it. He died in 1935, so it was a little bit of a strange question. Uh, luckily, they didn't ask it. Uh, but Rav Cook did write about statehood in numerous places, and in 1925, he penned this paragraph. And in the consideration of time, and you all have it, so you can all read it, uh, and I, tra- I, I translated it, hopefully, and translating Rav Cook is always a real difficult thing, but hopefully it's fairly decent. But Rav Cook here talks about uh, statehood and talks about statehood in very Rousseauian terms as essentially the state being a social contract. In other words, the state is a way for lots of different people to be able to operate together and not hurt each other and have common prosperity and everything else, but it's all quite utilitarian. And in the middle of this paragraph, he says, This is not true about a state which is essentially idealistic in its founding. Now, a lot of states could say that about themselves. But he says um, that the Medina Zu, he be'emet hayotel yonam b'sulam ha'osher. In other words, what, what he seems to be saying here is statehood for its own purpose, as opposed to statehood as a utilitarian means to common prosperity and security, etc., and then he says, And by the way, what's interesting is that the founders of the state had no idea what they were going to call the state until about three days before statehood or less. And yet in 1925, he's referring to it as Medinat Yisrael. The name had been bandied about. And he calls Medinat Yisrael Yisod Kisei Hashem Ba'olam, the foundation of God's throne in the world. Now, that sounds like a strange phrase to use. I mean, even for those of us who are avowedly and proudly religious Zionists, to talk about the state of Israel as the foundation of God's throne in the world seems to be a bit of a push. So to explain it, I'm going to utilize something I once heard, I don't recall from whom, but very interesting, and again, on its own, a cute little observation, but one that put together with this, I think, actually is quite meaningful. You know, Today is one of the few times in, that I remember in the last 10 years that we celebrated Yom Atzmaut on the day of HaBiyar. Every year it always seems to be earlier because uh, it's on a Friday, it's on a, it's on a Sunday. For whatever reason, we don't celebrate it on the day because of Shul Shabbat, so we move it up. To this year, we're actually on HaBiyar. And last night when we counted Sphira, we counted 20 days to the Sphira. Right? So if you didn't count, today's 20. And uh, as you re- as you may notice in the 
in most of the Sidurim, uh, even the ones that aren't so Kabbalistically oriented, almost every standard Sidur in Sfirat Omer gets a little Kabbalistic. They add several different paragraphs, one from Tehillim and Anabachoach and Rebbe Shalom, and they have next to each day a matrix of the Sfirot, of the Kabbalistic Sfirot emanations from God, however you explain Sfirot. And the idea is that Sfirat HaOmer is seven times seven, so that each day you're perfecting one subcategory of existence in the world. I have no idea what that means. Just putting the words out. And they are Chesed, Gvura, Tiferet, Netzach, Chod, Yisod, and Malchut. Those are the seven. Yeah, I didn't memorize them today, but those are the seven. And the one that we mentioned last night is Yisod, Shiva, Tiferet. Now, what that means in Kabbalistic terms, i got to go to some other Zoom room for that. I don't know. But just keep those two words in mind. They're right there on the page. Now, this entire system of the Sfirot is actually anchored in a pasuk um, in Divrei Amim. It's a pasuk we all know because it's in Zimra. And in David, in Divrei Amim, is recorded as having blessed Hashem. Just before he dies, and he's handing over the reins to Shlomo. And he says the famous passage, And so they understand, Gedula is chesed, Gvura is gvura, Tiferet, Netzach, Hod. And then, So that's how the Kabbalists get these seven midot. But before, at least explicitly, we had any record of the Kabbalistic interpretation, there was a Breita quoting Rabbi Akiva where he interpreted L'cha Adonai HaGidulah refers to Kriyat Yamsuf. Right? This is the great miracle of Kriyat Yamsuf. V'hagvurah zu makat pachorot. We get why that would be an example of God's power, makat pachorot. V'hatiferet zu matan Torah. The God's glory, that's reference to matan Torah. And then v'hanetzach zo Yerushalayim v'hahod zebet hamikdash. Parenthetically, the Maharal built a lot of his um, titling of his essays, his collections of essays, on that. So he has, for instance, a book called Gevurot Hashem, in which he goes through all of the Agadot about Yitziat Mitzrayim. He has a uh, whole book called Tiferet Yisrael, where he goes through all the Agadot about Matan Torah. He has a very famous book called Netzach Yushalayim, which is about the about Tishaba. Netzach Yisrael, which is about Tisha B'Av, and the destruction goes through a lot of the Agadot and with his explanations. So he kind of builds on this. Now notice that Tiferet there is described as Matan Torah. Okay. Uh, one more piece here and then bring it together before we move on to the second part. Um, you know, we have a halacha that's in a Brita, which is that two, that a month before Pesach, we're supposed to start studying Yochot Pesach. Shloshim Yom Kodem LePesach, Dorshim Dorshim Yochot Pesach. In the Gemara, that gets expanded to Sukkot. And in the times of the Gemara, there were two big gatherings in Bavel, in Matamachsia, um, in Bavel, uh, which were right, around, right after Purim and about two weeks before Rosh Hashanah, which were gatherings in which the great sage would teach halachot of Pesach and Sukkot, respectively. The two holidays that have a lot of detailed halachot to them and they would teach those. And those are the Kala, the great gathering. Right? And, and that's as far as it went. The, in the Shulchan Ar-Harab, which was composed by the Balatanya in the, in the beginning of the 19th century, 
Um, he writes as follows at the beginning of Hilchot Pesach. And it, it's something strange. So they said that they established a rule that you start teaching 30 days before a regal. Now again, Pesach and Sukkot have lots of intricate halachot. We understand why you would need time to teach. And they didn't teach for 30 days. They taught 30 days before, and then people had 30 days to prepare their sukkah and their lulav, or their cleaning out their house and getting ready for Pesach. And then he said, So from Purim and on, you teach Shochot Pesach. Skip to the next line. 14th of Elulon, you start teaching the laws of Sukkot. I get it. But look at the, at the bold print. From the 5th of Yaron, remember he's writing in the, 19th, the beginning of the 19th century, from the 5th of Yaron, you start teaching the laws of Shavuot. You gotta wonder, what are the laws of Shavuot? Laws of Shavuot are essentially laws of Yom Tov and a lot of recipes for cheesecake. Shavuot does not have any unique halachot to it, unlike Sukkot and Pesach. And yet, he throws this line in. I don't know of anybody else who has adopted this position, but it's an interesting idea that the fifth VR is like the beginning of the preparation for Shavuot. Now, what does that all mean? So to tie that all in with this Yesod Shibitifera. When we stood in Har Sinai, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, I'm going to give you a brit. And if you accept the brit, then you will be Mamlechet Kohanim Vigoy Kadosh. And that really should be our motto. That should be on our sweaters. That should be on our cars. Mamlechet Kohanim Vigoy Kadosh. That's who we're supposed to be. A kingdom of Kohanim and a holy nation. But you have to remember that each of those phrases starts with a word and ends with a word. Mamlacha and Goy, and then Kohanim and Kadosh which means that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying, for you to implement my will in this world, you have to be a holy nation. You have to be a kingdom of priests, which means you have to first establish statehood. You have to establish sovereignty. You have to establish um, uh, an entire realm of statecraft and then sanctify it. To be individual holy people, I can find that anywhere in the world. I can find that in India. In Goa, I could find that in Japan, I could find it maybe even in Wuhan, I could find anywhere. But a holy nation, that's you. Which means the first thing I do is be a nation. Which means I'm bringing you into a land that you're going to conquer, and you're going to establish a kingdom, or at least tribal uh, hegemony. And then you're going to live a holy life, which is going to then teach the rest of the world. You cannot teach the rest of the world from exile. You can teach your neighbors. You can teach the rest of the world when you have a nation. And so therefore, the Yesod Shebetiferet, the foundation of Matan Torah, is Yom Atzmaut, is us coming into the land, us establishing a sovereign presence, and establishing ourselves as a nation, and then becoming a holy nation. There are people that we know of who want to turn things backwards. We say, first we've got to be holy, then we can be a nation. But that's not the way it happened in history. And that's not the way that it's happened in our generation. Because as Rabbi Salavichuk said when, when explaining uh, his very difficult move away from his family, uh, you know, it's in the Chamesh Drashot, which started out as Fir Drashot, but due to inflation in uh, translation, it became Chamesh Drashot. Um, uh, in, the, in his famous Drashat, Achai and Ochim of Akesh, when he explained why he left the Salavichuk family position and embraced the Mizrahi, 
was he said, because when it comes to halacha, the Beitin Paskins, when it comes to history, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Paskins. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu Paskin, like Mizrahi, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Paskin in favor of Zionism. So, you know, you could say everything you want to, but bottom line is we're here. Thank God. Chastei and uh, and now we have to. It's now our job to do as much as we can to turn that go into goy kadosh, and we see it happening. Baruch Hashem. So the second thing I'd like to look at is the issue of how we respond. In other words, we recognize, and to this year, perhaps more than others, there has been so much information on the internet, movies, and and slideshows, etc., highlighting the tremendous miracle that's the state of Israel. Because you recognize that everybody's kind of cooped up and there's no chance to get together for a lecture. And so the lectures come to us and there's tremendous material that, that, that's come out in the last day, the last two days, uh, on Yom Atzmaut and on the founding of Israel. And so we recognize how tremendously significant it is. The question is, how are we supposed to respond? And so our traditional response, I can't speak for everybody who's in our Zoom room, our traditional response uh, is to say hello. But, but what's the justification for that? That would be the question asked. What's the justification for saying halal on Hey B.E.R.? So my response, depending on who I'm speaking with and how comfortable I am being open with them is, well, what's your justification for not saying halal? Which, of course, then they turn around and say, what do you mean? You don't start with an assumption. You say halal. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Here's the question I ask. You're driving in the car and suddenly, and people from the East Coast get this a lot better, you're driving in the car and then suddenly there's a, you're, you hit a patch of ice and your car fishtails and you're starting to go towards the median and it feels like it's out of control. And at the last minute you hit some actual asphalt, your tire grabs on, you're saved, you feel tremendous relief. What do you do the next morning in Shul? And everybody answers immediately. I go and I said, you're Goma. That's everybody's reaction. Save your Hanagoma. I said, okay, great. So you weren't even being that careful of a driver. You almost got yourself killed. You somehow were able to right your car, and you come to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and you give thanks, B'Shem Uvumalchut, in front of a minyan, to thank God for saving your life. Am Yisrael, for the last 2,000 plus years, has been persecuted, been chased, has had no refuge, has had, not that our blood was cheap, our blood was free in so many different parts of the world. And we were only living wherever we were living because of the kindness and generosity and self-interest of whatever local government was there at the time. And when that changed, then we were thrown out, and thrown out was a good thing already. And suddenly, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us a home. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu brings us back to our home and allows us to establish ourselves and not as some sort of Nebuch little nation. Within 50 years, we've turned ourselves into a superpower. And today we're at the forefront of just about everything. And you're not going to say thank you? What kind of kfiyutovah is that? What kind of ingratitude is that? So let's just look at a couple sources relating to Hallel and see how this is anchored not just in an emotional uh, appeal, but rather in something that's a little bit more anchored. Um, I'm going to start not with the earliest source, but I'm going to start with the Sheiltot in source seven. The Sheiltot is a compilation of talks that were given by Rav Achai Gaon in the ninth century in Bavel, uh, and he gave them on Parsha Shavua. It was collected as a halachic compendium. So each week on the Parsha, it's something that's related to the halacha. So in Breshit, it's about Kurvu, 
and in uh, Noah, I think it's about Gezel, and Lechlecha, it's about Brit Milah, and here it's Vayishlach, which always comes around around Hanukkah time. And he says, Am Yisrael is obligated to praise and to thank God when a miracle happens to them. And he quotes the Pasuk, We just said it this morning. We say, Praise Hashem all the nations, because God's kindness has overcome us. And the Gemara, he quotes the Gemara, it says, because God's kindness overcame us, they should praise. This is what it means. All the nations, you should thank God because God has done great things for you. And certainly we, whose God's kindness has overwhelmed us, certainly we have to do that. And then he goes on to the halachot that are presented in the ninth paragraph of Brachot which is when you encounter a location where a miracle happened to Am Yisrael, you have to say a bracha. I had the occasion to say that a couple of years ago when we went to um, one of the spots on the Jordan River where B'nai Yisrael had crossed with Yoshua. It was clearly Mabrota Yardain, and it's one of the places listed here in the Gemara and listed in the Shilta. Most of these places are hard to find. We don't know exactly where they are. That one's pretty clear. And whenever we come to a day, he says, when we come to a day where a miracle happened from Israel, and he gives as an example, he doesn't say Chanukah Purim is the list. He says those are examples. Chanukah, you say it on the candle, and Purim, you say it on the right? And then he goes on to the halachot of halo. But notice, he doesn't see this as permission. He sees this as an obligation. We're obligated to thank God when we come to the anniversary of a day where God did miracles for the Jewish people. And one could easily make the argument, and this is argu- these are arguments that we hear. One could first of all make the argument that Hebi'ar wasn't the halal day picked by religious Jews, Right? Because Hebi'ar was a day picked ultimately by the British. The British, in after the vote in November 1947, um, main, uh, presented to Yunskop, they said, we are going to leave Israel, leave our mandate in Palestine on uh, May 15th, 1948. Right? And that was going to be Vav The uh, David Ben-Gurion and the other leadership of the Jewish, of uh, the issue realized they could not announce the formation of the Jewish state on Shabbat. And so that Friday at 1230, we've all seen the footage many times, David Ben-Gurion got up and read the Megillah Ta'at and declared statehood. So it was a date that was kind of picked by the British. So how can you celebrate a date picked by the British? So my response is, and what was Purim? Purim was a date picked by a pagan based on his superstitious throw of the dice. And that's Haman. Okay, so that's kind of the end of that one. Um... And then the statement is, well, no miracle happened on that day. They declared sovereignty. It took another um, nine months before they were able to actually settle, and that was the armistice. And for years, there were, it was very difficult there. I said, yes, but that's not how Gula happens. When you think about this, when Yitzhak Mitzrayim happens, who were we? We were on the run. Until we got to create to, to Yamsuf, we were on the run, but we still celebrate Pesach. In other words, we celebrate a day that we identify as being the beginning of that process. 
and, and whatever the nation determines. There's another piece to the puzzle, which is the last line I said, which is we're part of a nation and part of what the whole experience of Yom Atzmaut, and those of us who were, have been in Israel Yom Atzmaut, especially in the earlier days, remember the hammers, remember it as an experience of tremendous ahdut, of people who were religious and, and secular, all dancing together, all celebrating together. And so as a time of ahdut, you're not going to say, well, my Yom Atzmaut's going to be in January, because that's when the, uh, the armistice was. And mine will be in uh, May, in June, because of the sixth day. No, Yom Atzmaut is a day that we all celebrate together, the Rabbanut established HeBiR. The government established HeBiR, and that's what we have. Um, passage eight. You know the this, the uh, Gemara tells us in Masachat Makot that there are six hundred thirteen mitzvot. Rav Samloy has a drasha. He says the six hundred thirteen mitzvot were given to Moshe Rabbeinu Har Sinai. Two hundred forty-eight mitzvot say, three hundred sixty-five mitzvot lotase, and he doesn't tell us what they are. If you were to open up a Sefer Torah, open up a Chumash, and start counting through, you will see way more than 613 mitzvot. You'll find over a 1,000. Different things where Hashem said, do this, don't do that. So the question is, what do you count? What's counted? And that became a huge machloket that started in the 9th century and went really until the 14th century. In a literature we call Minyan HaMitzvot. And the most famous participant in that, in that discussion is the Rambam, Sefer HaMitzvot. But there were numerous other compilations of mitzvot where there are disagreements. You know, do you count tefillin as two mitzvot or one mitzvah? Shalyad Shalrosh. Do you count kriyachma as two mitzvot or one? Day and night separate, right? Are the Koran Tamid one mitzvah or two? So question is how we count them. And so in uh, in France, one of the Balea Tosvot, or Moshe of uh, Kusi, compiled a book called Mitzvot Gadol. Say for mitzvot, as they called it, and it was a large thing, went through discussions of the Sugiot. And so Yechiel of Corvey wrote sort of a, a, an abbreviated version of it, which gets called Sefer Mitzvot Katan. There's nothing Katan about it, but just relative to the other one, it's Katan. And in it, he lists as Mitzvah Kuf Memvav, L'Halel Bizmanim Kvuim, that we have to thank God at certain times. Shedichtiv, Hu Tehilatecha, meaning God is the focus of your praise. And he mentions in that context, Birchata Gomel, meaning Birchata Gomel, the thanksgiving that the individual gives is an expression of that. And that's not at set times, that's whenever something great happens. And we look at Halal itself, and there's a very famous discussion that takes place in Masachat Megillah, also in Arachim, which is why we don't say Halal on Purim. Every one of us who grew up in Akiva remembers this Gemara. It was on one of those booklets that Rob Druckmann gave out or wrote in. Why don't we say Halon Purim? And the Gemara gives three answers. One of the answers, by the way, is that we do say Halon Purim. We discussed it in Shir around Purim time this year. But we do say Halon Purim. But the other two answers are uh, Rav Yitzchak's answer, Lefisha Enom Rim Halel on Nes Shivachutzlaritz. We don't say Halel on a miracle that happens outside of Israel. Purim was basically in Shusha. And Rava's famous answer is that we can't say Hallel because Hallel is about Hallelu Abdei Adonai, Velo Abdei Faro. Hallel has to be said by an independent people. Hallel is about independence. And at the end of the story, even though we were saved and Mordechai was vice president, nonetheless, we were still Abdei Achashverosh. Neither one of these things applies to us. Thank God the miracles all happened in Israel. 
And the whole point of the miracle was that we were no longer Avdei Hashverosh, that we were now Avdei Hashem, and otherwise, besides that, I'm Chofshi. <clears throat> so the last thing I want to take a look at here is the issue of the history of Hallel. Now, the history of Hallel is long sugya, but the Gemara in, um, in the end of, uh, the end, towards the end of Psachim, in, in, in uh, Arve Psachim, when discussing Hallel, we say on Pesach, asks, Hallel Zemmi Amaro, who authored Hallel? And they give seven different opinions. By the way, what's curious is none of them are David. Three of them are before David, and four of them are after David. The first three are that Moshe in Israel composed Hallel when they were standing at Yamsu. Rabbi Yehuda says it was Yoshua when they were about to go to war against the Canaanite kings. Also, Modai says it's Varam Barak when they were about to go to war against Sisra. They skipped David. However, Blazon Azariah says it was Chizkiah and his entourage said it when Sanchiri was going to war against Yerushalayim, or was planning to. Rabbi Kiva says it was Hanani Mishal Bazariah. This is very late, during an exile of Bavel. Yosei says it was Mordechai and Esther, are the ones who, who, uh, who composed Hala. But look at opinion number seven, Chachamim Omri. Chachamim means that's the consensus of everybody else. Nevi'im Shebeneim Tiknulam Yisrael. And this is really the, the strong line. The Nevi'im among them, and among them we assume was among Bnei Yisrael who left Mitzrayim. Established it for Yisrael, Shiomrimoto Alko Perek Uperek, the Alkol Tsaravet Sarashalotavolehem, the Yisrael. Alko Perek Uperek means you say it every few times a year. Perek Uperek, like every Chag, every Regal. The Alkol Tsaravet Sarashalotavolehem, Yisrael. And any time we're under threat, when we redeem from that threat, we say it for our redemption. It's very hard to look at that statement in the Gemara and not see in spades the history of the 20th century for Am Yisrael. To look at the last thousand years of European history and few hundred years of history of the Jews in Arab countries. And take a look, of course, at the culmination of all of that with the Shoah HaNora'ah that took one-third of our people in World War II, and then to look at the creation of a state, which is not only a secure haven for us, but is a thriving and a place where Jews can realize our destiny, where more Torah is being studied than at any other time in history, when the opportunities to, for Jewish expression and self-expression have never been greater, and turn to that and say that's not a geula, you'd have to have your eyes closed. This is really a day that we celebrate our geula, not a geula of 3,000 years ago, not a geula of 2,500 years ago on forum, a geula of right now, not a geula of 72 years ago. We are b'nei ha We are experiencing the geula. And it's something that we are obligated as those who believe in Hashem to thank Hashem for. Anything less is really kfiyu Torah, is ingratitude. It obligates us, of course, to do everything we can to continue to protect and, uh, and, and secure and, and promote the welfare of Medinat Yisrael and all of her citizens. But it also means we have to stop at least once in a while, if not once a year, but even more often, and say thank you to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for the state. And so that's what we're celebrating today. I want to wish everybody a Chagat Smut Sameach.
And uh, next week, Yemir Tzashem, we'll go back to uh, something in the Parsha, but I may have a little surprise for you as a follow-up to today's year.